The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if, he had, if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. As he taught them, he said, It is not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. But you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, they went out of the city. In the morning as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth. If you say to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea, and do not doubt in your heart, but believe what you have said will happen, it will be done for you. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. Father, we just really pray that you would speak through Andy this morning as he comes and shares your word with us. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Good morning. It's great to see everyone, and uh, uh, welcome to anyone who is visiting new guests this morning. Fantastic to have you with us. Um, we are looking this morning at our final one in this series on searching, and we're going to be looking at searching for uh, fruitfulness uh, in our lives. Um, last year, um, we bought some, or I bought some chili seeds. Um, I just thought I'd try growing a plant that would put some fire in your belly. So um, I, uh, we tried these things out to see whether you could get chili seeds to actually grow uh, on it. And we put them in some compost, put it on a, in a plant pot, tried to find the sunniest part of the house, a windowsill. There's not many of those in our house. But uh, we found something where there was some sun shining from now and again. And... Uh, you water it from time to time. Later on, you give it a little bit of uh, you know, nutrient and stuff. And slowly, slowly, and fairly amazingly, these, these things grew, and it flowered. And uh, we got a fairly bumper crop of chilies. I was amazed that you could do this uh, in that. And I was quite impressed by this whole thing. However, <clears throat> this year... It has struggled a little, okay? Maybe I just didn't quite give it enough uh, nutrient. Maybe it's used up everything that was in the compost, or just perhaps I forgot to water it through the winter. I'm not sure. But uh, I feel like it's had the Mark 11 curse put upon it, this chili plant. Um, I don't think we're going to see anything from it uh, this year at all, so I'm going to start again uh, with all of that. And... Uh, as plants grow and develop, they, you know, they take in the nutrient, uh, they take in all the carbon dioxide, sunlight, water, all the rest of it, and they're to grow. And eventually they flower, they produce fruits, in this case chilies, and so that they produce seeds, which then go on and reproduce uh, as well. And as people, we are, and as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we are to be, to be like that. We're to be people that grow. We're not just designed to consume, but also we're designed to produce fruit uh, through our lives. 
uh, ultimately reproduce ourselves with our faith uh, into the lives of others as well. And so, like plants, we're to be firmly rooted in faith, um, in, in, the, in the Word of God, firmly rooted in that. We're to be nourished uh, by, uh, and watered by the Word and by the Spirit in our lives, and we're to grow up. We're to take responsibility for our lives. We're to take responsibility for our relationships, for our faith, and continue to grow up in that. And we, we live by faith so that the fruit of God and the fruit of His kingdom will express itself through our lives in many ways, whether that's the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of character, whether it's the fruit of work uh, and all the good deeds that we might do, whether it's the fruit of our faith and witness uh, in different ways. And Jesus, in this, uh, this uh, situation that we've just read about, is leaving a place called Bethany. So um, I, put, I found this map just to give you some idea of where Bethany is relative to Jerusalem as he's heading down on his journey towards there. And he's leaving this place, and Bethany means the place of fig trees. Okay, so fig trees are big in the area, clearly. And he moves on down through Bethphage, which means the place of young figs, or those that are not quite ripe yet. Um, clearly, near the Mount of Olives, there was a lot of fig trees around. And it's in that situation that he spots a fig tree that's nice and leafy, and he heads over to find some fruit on it, a particular one. And when he gets there, he finds there is no fruit on it only leaves, um, although he says it isn't the season for figs, because it's only April at this point. But outrageously, I think, he curses the fig tree for not having any fruit of it, on it out of season. May no one ever eat fruit from you again. Seems a little bit harsh. But in the Bible, um, the, uh, the image of a fig tree is a symbol that represents Israel. And the temple was, uh, was right at the heart of the nation's uh, religion. And Jesus is making the point that uh, both have dried up, that Israel and its faith have dried up, that it's become corrupt, it's become unfruitful, it's become utterly barren. In a time when Jesus, the Son of God, has appeared on earth, it should be fruitful and blossoming. Actually, it's completely undelivered and is, is no longer going to deliver um, to the world uh, what it was always intended to do. And so just like this fig tree, it is dried up. But I also think we can apply it into our own lives as well. And uh, because this is a place of young figs, as it were, Jesus expects to see um, even a little sign of fruit. So even though it might not be fully ripe yet, fully mature yet, he's expecting to see some early signs of fruit in our lives. And therefore, I think we can apply that. And you might think of yourself as a young person today. Um, and you may think, well, actually, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not everything I'm going to be yet. I'm not fully developed yet. And yet God still expects to see fruit in your life, um, whether it's at school, whether it's at university, whether it's uh, in, your, in your community, whatever that might be, that he is looking to find fruit in our lives. That might be fruit of character. And we get so much wrong in our lives, you know, especially with the pressures on life. And yet, what is it that God is growing? What characteristics is God growing in you? And is he showing through your life? The fruit of our hands, uh, the work that we do, the studies that we're involved in, the things that we, we make or do, the way that we serve people, um, the fruit of, of kindness as we show that to people around us, um, how you try to change things that are wrong in our world. It may be the culture at school or at university or on social media. How are we shaping that culture? It could be speaking up for people or situations that you know um, it's unfair or there's something untrue being said that takes courage and wisdom in all of that. Or it may just be 
explaining the reason we have for the faith that we have, the things that God has done in our lives. Because God believes that you, whatever age, He's looking for some signs of fruitfulness in your life. John chapter 15 says that we've been chosen for fruitfulness. But secondly, we can apply this to each of us because not only is Jesus looking for fruit in season, he's looking for fruit out of season. So not just when you're expecting it and ready and thought through on it, but he's saying that in every situation in life, um, we're to be ready to be fruitful. Uh, In all of those things, again, character, the work that we do, kindness, truth and justice, explaining our faith, different ways that we're fruitful. Um, You know, he says, always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have, you know, in season and out of season. Now, I think this passage here actually gives us a whole number of keys to understanding some of the challenges to being fruitful in our lives. And uh, if you're like me, then we're always looking to, be, to, to produce more fruit through our lives in some kind of way. We're searching for fruitfulness. And the first of the challenges is this. What are we feeding on? Uh, verse 12, it says that Jesus was hungry. He was physically hungry. He's looking for something to eat. And we read elsewhere in the Gospels where a time when Jesus was hungry after his baptism. And he's taken into the wilderness and he's, he's uh, had no food for 40 days. And he's tempted to doubt what his father says. And the devil comes along to him and he says, If you're the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live by bread alone quoting from Deuteronomy 8, verse 3, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus is modeling his feeding on the word of God. He's read this passage probably that morning, and he's digested it, and he knows what it's about, and now he's relying upon it in his situation that he faces. He models feeding on the word of God. The prophet Amos in, uh, in chapter 8 and verses 11 to 12 warns of a day of famine of God's word, a famine of God's word. And in many ways, we live in a world where there is a growing spiritual famine, uh, perhaps, particularly in the West, you know, where God's word's muzzled by secular society. But part of it is often that do we know how to feed on God's word? Do we know how to actually take out of this what is in it for our lives as well? I don't know who's been watching the Bear Grylls uh, series, The Island. I don't know if anyone's seen that. Um, If you haven't, it's uh, basically people are marooned on an island. It's a classic Bear Grylls situation. You get landed on this island, and you've got to survive. And uh, it's it's pretty grim, and not many people really know how to do it. But you know that Bear, you know, he does a quick scout around the island, 10 minutes, and he knows there's enough food there, there's enough water there. If you know what to look for and how to get it out, you can survive very easily in this situation. And if you've got bear with you, life would be fine. Okay, you might be eating some unusual bits and pieces, but life would be fine. But uh, life is, is like that island. Is Would we survive? Do we survive uh, on the island of life? Because our spiritual life, our spiritual hungers, requires spiritual food. And if we feed on the wrong stuff, then it, we get sick. So there's a point in one of the early episodes where they're so thirsty, they all pile into this lagoon and start drinking the lagoon water, and they are physically sick at the end of it because it's toxic. Okay? If you eat the wrong stuff, you drink the wrong stuff, it makes us, uh, makes us ill. But if we feed on the right stuff, do we know how to do that? And it's easier said than done. It's, it's not always that easy to really get out of here because this is our spiritual survival kit. 
Okay? This is our manual for living. This is what we need to survive life in all of our workplaces, our relationships, our finances, whatever it is, it is about, it's in here. And do we know how to feed on it? Because it's not like a packed lunch where you kind of just open the lid and it's all pre-cut sandwiches and it's all your favorite bits in there. Okay? You've actually got to work quite hard at trying to unpack what is in here. You know, have we got to grips with the, the milk of it? You know, have we started to chew on the meat of it? You know, do we know how to take encouragement from this when life is going really badly for us? You know, have we developed uh, a way of surviving uh, with this? Because to be fruitful in life, we need to feed on the right stuff, and we need to feed on God's Word. To read it, to study it, to ask questions of it, and to dig out all the goodness from the ground so that it becomes a feast uh, for our lives as well. So feeding is the first challenge uh, to being fruitful. The second challenge is finding. Find out what God wants me to do in season and out of season. Verse 13, seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. And when he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. And then he curses it. Jesus is looking for fruit in our lives in season and out of season. And so every one of us needs to discover what fruit we are to produce in life. Now, there are many things that are common to all of us. We mentioned them earlier, character and kindness and all of those kind of things. But what purpose does your life have? What are the specific things that you bring to life and to this world? What has God given you to do? Because as we understand that, it helps us, I think, to be fruitful. And it comes out of um, these questions, who you are. Every one of us is unique. You know, we're children of God, and yet God has gifted us in different ways. Um, it comes out of what you do. And there'll be things that you already know or are discovering to know that you're good at. Things that, that you very naturally have a great, great ability to do in life. Who do you do it for? Who is it that you serve um, with what you do? Um, what do they need? And the last one is, is how are they changed? How are they transformed as a result of what you do? And it can apply to any area of life, any area of work, whether paid, whether unpaid, um, whether it's something you produce, whether it's something you design, whether it's something, someone you care for, something you organize. A whole variety of different ways in which we, we do things. There's a guy called Adam Leipzig um, who's done quite a lot on this. And he talks about how, um, so I'll leave that up. He talks about how if you're at a, a party and somebody says, what do you do? And sometimes you're not quite sure what to say to people. So it may be that, well, you're not sure because you're in between things, or it may be that it's not really defined what you do, or what you seem to do is not what you actually do, uh, or what you're paid to do is not how you define yourself. Um, but he says this, he says, tell, all you need to do is to tell people how what you do changes people, how what you do transforms people that you do it for. So for example, he gives some examples of this. So someone might say, I give kids amazing dreams. And you're like, okay, well, how do you do that? And he says, well, I write books for children so that they can fall asleep at night and have amazing dreams. Someone else, I help people look and feel their best. Okay, how do you do that? Well, I design clothes for men and women who need affordable choices so they can look and feel their best. Um, someone else, I help people get great work into the world. 
How do you do that? Well, I train entrepreneurs and creative people to take decisive actions so that they can get the greatest work out into the world. And when you start to describe what you do in a way that transforms people, people are going to ask you questions about, well, how do you do that? Um, and then you can start to describe what your life is about, and you can help them discover what perhaps their purpose in life might be as well. So a teacher, do they just teach, or do they really help people, kids, find and come to their full potential in life? Because you're teaching them how to learn for themselves and apply it to their lives so they can reach their full potential in life. I was thinking about this for myself. So what, you know, the Alpha course, stuff I do with the church, do I just work for a church? Or do actually, do I help people discover wonderful things about God? Because when we sit down on an Alpha course, one of the things we're doing is we are helping people who are curious about faith, who've got questions about life, to explore and discuss and discover wonderful things about God. And suddenly what we're about begins to change. And we understand it, and I think that helps us to be fruitful when we know what it is that we do and what change we bring. Helping in season and out of season. So great questions that you can uh, process uh, at some point uh, for yourself. Finding what you do on a Sunday. So when we come together on a Sunday, it says here that the temple worshippers clearly weren't doing the right things. Okay, As we read in the passage, Jesus started driving out those in the temple courts because they were buying and selling and he overturned the tables of the money changers. Because this was a section of the temple that was for the Gentiles. It was for the non-Jews. He wanted it to be a house of prayer for all nations. And uh, the, the Jewish people there were making it quite difficult for non-Jews to get involved in the worship of the, of the community. And they were charging them, um, forcing them to change their currency into temple currency so that they could pay temple tax. And they were taking a good bit for themselves, den of robbers. Okay, they were ripping them off in the process. But how do we make church accessible to people that are outside of the church? And it's great what, what people are doing here and the way that people get involved here and seeing how good them, this, this community here is at doing that. But how can we serve people? How can we serve the guests, the newcomers um, on a Sunday, whether in a formal role or whether in an informal role? Looking out for people, including people, involving people, inviting people, connecting people together in all of that. Let's make this an accessible, welcoming community, uh, encouraging that right across the place for all people, for all nations, for all ages and stages of life so that people can be part of things. And so what, what has God given you to do on a Sunday um, within the church community? So we feed on God's Word. We find what we're to do. The third thing, uh, third challenge very often is fear in our lives. Uh, verse 18 it says that the religious people feared Jesus because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. He was a threat to them. Okay? They feared his popularity. And perhaps we don't do something sometimes out of fear. It's something we think we could do or should do, but it's fear that stops us from doing it. It can stop us from doing something that actually could be quite fruitful. Um, we might fear someone else getting the credit and so we think, oh, I'm not sure I'll bother. Or we might fear the commitment involved or the cost um, of something that might come. We might be fearful of failure. Oh, I don't want to, you know, what if I fail? So I won't. And therefore the fruitfulness doesn't come. It could be a fear of success. As someone recently said, you know, what if I invite someone to church and they say yes? Ah, <laughs> panic. 
Um, there's a big block of fear in many of our lives that prevents us from being uh, fruitful. Um, if you want to see someone overcome fear, go and watch Eddie the Eagle, um, the film, great film, good laugh, um, and quite a challenge. The fourth challenge uh, to fruitfulness in this passage is about friendship. Verse 19, it says this, When evening came, Jesus and his disciples and his disciples went out of the city. <clears throat> Isolation, sorry, can rob us of fruitfulness, but friendship can enhance fruitfulness. Um, Andy Flanagan uh, wrote uh, an inspiring book about Christians in politics called uh, For Those Who Show Up, and his encouragement is to show up in, in the political world, uh, at whatever level, whether it's in your local council, whether it's national voting, discussions, debates, whatever, show up and get involved. And he encourages people to do that. But he says, if you're going to get really involved, you know, if you want to stand as a councillor or whatever that, make sure you've got your clan, he says. Make sure you've got a good group of people around you who are going to support you and are going to encourage you and are going to keep you accountable to things. People are going to stick with you through thick and thin um, and get you through those darkest hours. People who will be a gang for you. you know, who's your clan? Who are the people that encourage you to be fruitful and to stick with it in life? And he quotes an African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go it alone. But if you want to go far, go together. One of the first things that I did when I came to Birmingham as a postgraduate student uh, was to find a, a, a Bible study um, in, in some of the flats nearby because I knew there I'd find some other Christians who I could mission with. And I very quickly met a guy um, who I kind of paired up with, a guy called Andy. And we used to meet up every morning, every Monday morning at 7.45 to pray together and uh, to ch challenge one another in life. And so we started to do that, and then we started to run evangelistic Bible studies for other, other people around us. Um, we then got involved in busting open a cult that was opening, that was started on campus. We ran some outreach events. At the end of the year, we decided that we'd go and share a flat in Balsall Heath together because we wanted to get involved in inner-city Birmingham and cross-cultural outreach, and we saw people come to faith through that. And that fruitfulness came out of friendship because it's that encouragement that we have one with another. Another example I came across, a summary of minutes okay, from the very first meeting of a campaign group. Here's the, I know you don't like minutes, but these are fairly simple. Minute number one, decided the current law was bad. And the committee's main aim was to persuade others of the fact, mostly by producing publications. Two, decided who on the committee, who would be on the committee, and that a quorum of three was all that was necessary to make a meeting count. Number three, chose one of the group as a treasurer, but he couldn't spend anything unless the whole committee said he could. Great one. Number four, agreed to announce it and ask others to join and send money. Number five, went for a drink. A few friends, a very simple start. The first meeting of that was May the 22nd, 1787, and it became the London Abolition Committee. 20 years later, with all the other things that we know that happened, it led to the abolishing of the slave trade. Fruitfulness came out of friendship. Hebrews 10.25 says, Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. So friendship is a, is a thing that helps us be more fruitful. Fifthly, Jesus says here, is faith. Verse 22, he says, Have faith in God. 
Jesus answered. And then he goes on to speak about the mountain-moving faith, you know, the prayer that moves a mountain. And we, we spoke about that during the Try Praying series, um, so I won't dwell on it, but we looked at how God has power over circumstances, how God has power over nature, how God has power over the human heart to change things um, outside of us and within us as well. And uh, we're to bring our lives before God in prayer. We're to bring our, our lives in line with His. Again, John 15, that, that great passage of Jesus the vine, He says, No branch can bear fruit by itself. But only I am the vine, he says, you are the branches, remain in me. Stay connected to me. That sense of prayer, that sense of faith, that sense of dependency. Um, and as we sung earlier, we, we surrender our purposes to God. Whatever those purposes are, we surrender them to God and say, you know, not, not my will, but yours. We take our, our gifting, we say, thank you, but we surrender it to God. Our call on our lives our passions that we have, our opportunities that come up, we, we surrender them to God. And a little later, we'll, we'll you know, come to communion, which is where God models that. He ultimately surrenders his, his very life. And yet, look at the fruitfulness that comes out of that. But not only do we surrender it, but we also pick it up in faith. And we, we pick up our purpose. And we pick up our call. And we pick up our gifting. And we pick up those passions that we have. And we pick up... That, um, that sense of, of opportunity that we see before us, dependent on God and with faith, and we step into them so that we can be fruitful um, in all of that. Many of you will know this, perhaps the story of Amy Carmichael, and uh, a young girl, an Irish girl, grew up in a church, and at the age of, I think, 16 or 17, decided to run a Sunday school for what they called the Shawleys. They were the, the girls that worked in the mill, they didn't wear hats, they had shawls over their heads, and she just saw a need with these young girls to run a Sunday school. And she stepped out in faith as a young person and started to run this, and it grew and it grew, and there was 500 of these folks coming every week to learn about God's Word. She stepped out uh, in faith. I read a quote this morning that just said, God, um, I forget what it says now, it said, God uh, favors those who ask. God favors those who ask, and uh, we need to have faith in our lives to be fruitful. And the sixth and last of the, the challenges in this passage is about forgiveness. Uh, verse 25, he says, if you, when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Unforgiveness hinders our prayers. Unforgiveness hinders our fruitfulness. It distances us from the vine, as it were. I can't have a fruitful life if I'm going to hold on to unforgiveness and bitterness, um, because the fruit I will produce will be bitter in that sense. And in Jesus, on the Sermon on the Mount, says something quite remarkable. He says there's one circumstance when you're allowed to get up in the middle of church service, pack all your stuff up, Climb over 15 people to get out of your row and head for the door. Okay, and it's other than when your kids need you. Okay, the one circumstance is this the one justifiable reason is to go and attempt to repair a broken relationship because either you need to ask for forgiveness or because you need to go and forgive someone to reconcile a strained relationship. It's so important to Matthew chapter 5, verse 23. 
to 24 if you want to look at it. Because God doesn't use bitter people in fruitful ways. Okay, God uses those who are willing to forgive others. Our horizontal relationships with one another affect our vertical relationship with God, which in turn then affects our fruitfulness horizontally with other people as well. And so therefore we need to get our relationships right and in that sense of forgiving. So in conclusion then, Jesus wants this fig tree that he's just spotted to be fruitful. He wants it to have fruit on it in season and out of season. He wants us likewise to be fruitful. He wants us to be ready to produce fruit at all times, in all ways, to serve him in expected ways and in the unexpected ways. Fruitfulness through your daily work, whatever it is that you do, you know, Monday to Saturday, nine to five, whatever shifts you work, to be fruitful in those places, fruitful through your wider life, in the church community and in the wider community, through serving others. And so we ask the question, am I a producer of good, healthy fruits? Or am I just a consumer that isn't really being fruitful? And looking at these things, have I, have I learned to, fit, to feed on the right stuff? Am I feeding on God's Word? Am I feeding my life on the right things? Am I relationally grafted in to the vine, to Jesus? You know, where, where am I in finding out what it is I'm supposed to do? You know, who I am, what I do, who do I do it for, what do they need, how are they transformed? Perhaps as helping us to do that. What fears do I battle with that stop me from being fruitful? What are the fears that I have? Um, what friends do I need around me? What friends do I have around me that are encouraging me to be fruitful and pursue that? And Am I living by faith? Am I trusting God? Have I surrendered things to Him, but am I depending on Him and expecting Him and asking Him to produce fruit in and through my life? Am I a person of forgiveness? Or am I a person of bitterness in some way? And I've put in out like a whole set of really helpful process questions, which hopefully you'll look at in your own time or as a group afterwards. But they will help you to just to process this stuff because surely it's something that we want to be, something we want to grow in our fruitfulness um, in life.